Hi, welcome to the Tax Chick Podcast. I am your host, Amanda Doucette, a self-proclaimed foodie, spin class, and Pilates enthusiast, and a tax lawyer. I fell into the practice of tax law despite having a lifelong hatred of spreadsheets, math, and numbers in general. Tax is complex, but it does not always have to be so complicated and shrouded in mystery. Join me and my guests as we unpack some serious tax topics and attempt to demystify the world of tax. So I'm really excited for today's episode. It's a bonus episode of the Tax Chick podcast. And today, my guest is Emily Hersicorn. And Emily is with Hersicorn Coaching. And this particular episode is a little bit of a tax-adjacent episode. We're talking about some unexpected and rewarding career practices that you can take in law. And Emily is a life and leadership coach, but her focus is for early career lawyers. And she helps lawyers and law students find career clarity, confidence, and joy in order to fully step into their leadership potential. She is most passionate about empowering female leadership, addressing imposter syndrome through confidence coaching, and helping lawyers explore their passions and purpose. And I will post a whole bunch of more details on how to connect with Emily in the show notes. So welcome, Emily. Thank you. Hello. Thrilled to be here. I'm so excited to have you on the show today, and I'm I'm really glad I connected with you. I feel like all my connections lately have come through LinkedIn. It's been this really wonderful space to connect with some awesome people, and you and I are also friends on Instagram. Yes. Yes. I've been, <laughs> 2020, I've been saying lawyers love LinkedIn. Yeah. <laughs> it, is really, it has really been an interesting um, progression in 2020. We've all kind of taken it on and we're, and we're having fun with it. I think that's the most important part. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that comes to my mind when I think about you is I think positivity and joy. There's Mm. something that kind of radiates from you that is just this really wonderful, happy presence. And so I'm I'm just excited to have you on today because I just have, I want to share that with, with all of the listeners. Thank you. That means a lot. Yeah, I think my uh, my clients would agree. I have a very intense, excited energy when I'm doing this work. <laughs> well, and as you know, when I have a guest on the podcast, I always ask them the same two questions. And I gave you a little bit of a heads up on this. So are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. So the first question is, what is the last podcast that you listened to or your favorite podcast? Okay, so here's the thing. I'm at home all day, every day now with children. I don't listen to podcasts anymore. It's terrible. So what I what I actually prepared or I was thinking about is the last audiobook I listened to, kind of similar, right? Um, because I did venture out a little bit recently. Uh, I was in the car, had some quiet me time. Um, it was the confidence code. This book is a must read. Have you read it? I have not read it, but it's on my list. So you enjoyed it? It's a must read for every woman, every, especially if you're a busy professional, which of course lawyers and law students are. Um, It's exceptional. It has a lot of scientific research, neuropsych in there about differences between men and women in terms of confidence. Um, a lot of actionable advice and tips and normalizing imposter syndrome. It's exceptional. So a little um, 
adjacent to what you were say asking about with the podcast, but but similar, right? I think that totally counts. And I've actually been talking to a lot more people who've started down the audiobook trail, but yeah. had never done that before. And I haven't I haven't done that yet. I haven't done an audiobook. I haven't been in my car very much. I feel right. like I listen to podcasts now when I'm like making supper or those sorts of things, but I think I'm going to have to try the audiobook cuz it seems like it's it seems like it's a new fad. So maybe I'll try it with this book. This sounds like a great one to start with. It was. It was perfect. And I have to say I'm with you. I've got my library behind me full of books, <laughs> tangible books. Um so this was actually the first one I had gotten through on on an audiobook, but um but it sold me and I need to find that time too because it was enjoyable. Well, I'm really glad you shared that with us. I'm going to put the information on that in the show notes because I've heard so many wonderful things about that book. So that's awesome. So the other question is, what is the emoji you use most often when texting? This is an easy one because I'm almost, I'm so self-aware that I use it. I like overuse it. <laughs> that I, I, it's, I get a little weird about it, but crying so hard. I'm laughing. I use that one over <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> and over and over. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's like I'm tr- we're texting so much these days. I'm like trying to have fun with it. And I don't know. That's an easy format for my jokes to come through, my quirky sense of humor. I don't know, but that is overused. Definitely. Your joy is just spilling out of your eyes in tears. <laughs> exactly. do, you, do you cry when you laugh? <gasps> Sometimes. Sometimes I do. Yeah. Because I do, and it's I got it from my dad's side of the family, and it's it's like I have a love hate relationship with it because then you like have a hard time breathing because like you're all stuffed up because you've got you know water pouring out of your eyes and people don't know <laughs> if you're sad or if you're happy or what's going on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll say this about laughing. I've been told I have the loudest laugh um, that people have ever heard. I had a friend years ago at a party tell me from across the backyard at this person's house, he knew I was there because I was laughing. I, I didn't even realize that. So I have no shame, um, in the laughter game. And I'm glad that you brought that up. I think we should all laugh much more often and freely. Absolutely. It's good for the soul. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm I'm kind of excited to dive into our chat today. And so the reason why we decided to do this as a bit of a bonus episode is is you and I had had some good conversations about how sometimes we end up in a place in our career that we aren't expecting to be. Mm-hmm. And so I had kind of talked to you about how, you know, if I was in law school and and you looked back at that time and and told me I was going to be a tax lawyer, I probably would have laughed at you because that was just not in the realm of anywhere of kind of what I wanted to be and uh, now I am a tax lawyer and I can't imagine being anything else. But it's often hard to sort of find more I don't know niche options when you're in law school or a young lawyer. It feels like you're it's a lot easier to go into the larger sections of the law, right. be a criminal lawyer, be a litigator, um, be a contracts lawyer. But there's all these cool little niches of law that sometimes you don't even realize are available to you. Yeah. And so one of the things I like about the coaching that you do and the work that you do is you really honor people and what what is important to them and help them to kind of explore what's going to bring them joy in themselves yeah. and their career. And so today we were going to talk a little bit about kind of the concept of an unexpected career uh, that you may find yourself in. And, and we kind of picked three topics. 
So we were thinking we'd talk about how do you choose your path and then how do you have confidence in yourself and in your career choices? And then finally, I really like this one is the topic that we're going to talk about last is how do you check in with each, with yourself? Because sometimes I think we all go down a path and because we've chosen the path, we think we have to stay on the path, yes, even if it yes. doesn't feel right. And so you're going to talk a little bit about, you know, why we need to check in. So what what's the purpose of self-reflection, coaching? How can we be more self-aware? And that it's okay to have an ongoing exploration of your career, that that's acceptable. So I'm excited. I think this is going to be a fun conversation. I think I'm going to learn something. I feel like I can feel it. <laughs> I'm sure I will as well. There are always learning opportunities about. So our first topic is, you know, how do you choose your path? So I'll let you kind of start on that one. How would you like to address that? Well, first, I have to tell you, I also fall into this category because I worked in education law and I didn't know that existed in law school. I did not know that that existed now. What what is education law? What does that mean? I worked in education law. So I represented public school districts in a variety of matters, but uh, most specifically special education and labor and employment law. Okay. Yeah. And and so this is a very niche area like you're talking about. Um, I'm here in California and there are really, I would say under 10 education only kind of larger defense firms um, here in the state with multiple offices. Um, But yeah, that's what I got into. And it was this very cool kind of unicorn field where I could do defense work and make a good salary and um, work with really savvy clients, but it was for the greater good, right? I was serving municipalities. So I had to share that first because I don't even think we touched on that previously. I had no idea. And how did you end up getting into that then? Like if that was something you didn't know about. Yeah, I actually love this story too. It's very timely for those folks who are graduating this year or did last year. I graduated in the last recession, um, in 2010, and I I did everything right in law school. Things were going well, and then I decided I was moving to San Diego after law school. So I had a great summer associate position, but I was moving out of the area, so I couldn't stay with that firm. Um, so, and I made this choice again in the middle of a recession. Um, so I moved to San Diego without a job, didn't know anybody. And I went to my career services office and they connected me with the alumni. And that was everything for me. Um, networking really was. And the first woman I spoke with, she suggested that I go volunteer, which sounded ridiculous to me because I had a plan, right? I was supposed to make $100,000. It was very specific. <laughs> of course. Of course. Um, we all have plans coming yeah. out of law school. Yes. 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 And money is usually one a piece of that plan. Um, And so finally, I said, well, I have nothing else to do. So I've got to go do this. So I went and I volunteered at San Diego Unified School District. Um, She helped me get in there. And I networked with outside counsel as they came in. And the folks there, um, I worked my tush off. So the folks there were happy to connect me with other outside counsel. And ultimately, that networking turned into something several months down the road. And I really fell in love with the practice area. But yeah, graduated, I did not know it existed. That's that's a great story. And I think that's a great story for a number of reasons, because it's a good reminder about how you never know the next person you meet, what yes. impact that that person is going to have on your life. Yes, absolutely. And I also think 
one of the big things that really worked for me there was how hard I worked in that volunteer position. So not taking any sort of opportunity for granted and showing up as your best self all of the time, right? Or as much as possible, especially in those early years, I think is crucial because that is why those folks really, you know, stuck their neck out for me when it came to networking and helping me get that next paid job. Um, Yeah, it was really critical. Well, and I feel like now as a, I don't want to call myself an old lawyer, but I feel like I've been practicing for over a decade. So now I feel like an old lawyer. But one of the things I love when we have summer students or articling students is that they're they're not yet jaded by the practice and by a lot of the um, of the demons that come along with the practice. And so there's this excitement and this eagerness. And it, it honestly, it's catchy. Like yeah. you're working with them and it's suddenly I feel more excited because they're excited and, and it's this good team effort. And I think that that curiosity and that excitement and that openness and that willingness is honestly one of the most important characteristics as a young lawyer. Absolutely. And this actually speaks to the question that you asked about choosing a path. So I see this all of the time with early career folks and law students where they are eager, they are excited, they're not jaded, they're not freaking out yet, yet, um, about their ultimate job and what they're going to do after school. And so, yeah, I think there's a lot of advice out there that they're hearing where they need to choose a path and stick to it and Mm -hmm. make that choice early. And I always tell them, forget that throw that out the window. I completely disagree. I don't care who is telling you that. I completely disagree. If you have no idea what you want to do, please don't choose something arbitrarily and then only do that, right? And law school is the time for you to explore. There are so many opportunities in front of you, the field placement options um, and clinics And there's just so much there. So that is your time to explore. Stay curious. I love that word that you used. Um, Stay excited about new areas and learn. Learn about yourself. That's the best way to figure out what you want to do is to try different things and then take pieces of that information and put the pieces together to really get the bigger picture ultimately after you've, you've gone through some different placement options. Uh, that's such good advice, and and I don't I don't know how the law school system works in the U.S. I know in Canada, there's still this very increased focus on a more theoretical way of learning, mm. and so there's still this huge focus on case law and statutory interpretation and and kind of learning from books. and And there are definitely clinics and programs that you can be a part of, but I find it's a lot harder for the students to make that connection between what they're reading in their books and what's actually happening when you become a lawyer. Yeah. Um, is it like that in the States as well? You know, I think it depends where you are, but I will say this, it is much better and is ever increasing um, in terms of the practicality of the education. So uh, several years back, um, we started requiring more practical components to legal academia here in the States. And so uh, law students are all doing that now where, I mean, yeah, even I was in law school, what, 12 years ago, something like that. Um, Even then it was different where we did have clinics. We did a little bit, but oh my gosh, the students do so much now. 
I always say it's a little too much sometimes. <laughs> I think it's a lot of pressure. Um, Absolutely. But, yeah. yeah. But I do think it is a little bit more practical um, and increasingly so. And look, that's what the employers want too, right? I think in terms of big law, um, I think they're they're okay, a little bit more okay with um, the more theoretical approach. Um, they're going to be doing a lot of training and, you know, you're not getting thrown in um, right in the beginning. But for the folks that are getting thrown in, they need to know how to write a motion. They need to know how to do all of that practical work right up front. So I think it's really aligning with the industry needs as well. I think you made a really good point, though, about the fact that there's almost too much now. And I've noticed that even at our law college that when we get applications and now from students, there's so many clubs, there's like a corporate law club and there's a securities law club. And there's, I'm going, what, like there was no clubs when I was in law school and, um, there's a lot. And I feel like there's a pressure on students to join everything because they have to look like the star student in order to get a job. Yes. And, and so do you have any, any sort of comment on that? Absolutely. So first of all, I think we all know that anxiety and depression are higher than it ever has been, right? That mental health concerns um, are really greater than we've ever had. And so students are already coming in with that. And then like you're saying, there is this increased pressure. Um, Law schools always had a sense of pressure. And now it's not just about academic pressure like you're saying, because that's what it mm-hmm. used to be about, right? It was Absolutely. just grades, um, and getting that top job. But now it's also just, and, and I always say there's a buzz uh, amongst the students. Yes. There's just a buzz. Everybody's yes. talking about what they're doing and the job they just got and, um, and the activities they're in. So yeah, I always say, for, first of all, for first years, you really need to focus on your grades. And I think that's consistent messaging throughout Um, the industry, but it's so hard for first years where, again, you get really um, caught up in the hype, you know, and the buzz and what everyone else is doing. And then I remember even when I was in law school getting this advice. So I think the same thing goes still is try your hardest to just do what's best for you and really quiet the noise. And absolutely. Don't follow the masses. Yeah. Don't, don't follow the masses and don't pay too much attention and worry about what everyone else is doing. We all have our own path. Um, I've seen students and alumni who go through and do things completely different ways. Um, you know, some folks don't really know what they're doing in law school and then fall into something afterwards. Some know right from the very beginning. And so their path is going to look different. The number of clubs that they're in is going to look different. <laughs> um, and, and actually, the last thing I'll say about that that's really specific to that is I would rather see someone extremely involved in one club or student org um, rather that than like a paper member, as I call it, in six. Yes. Right? Yes, because I agree. What, what is that showing you know, you, that you're, you're undecided, you don't know what you're doing, you're just dabbling. But the other one is showing leadership development and potential and a true interest in something. So that may contradict a little bit what I was saying earlier um, about exploring. And if you don't know, um, and that's fine. But the idea is when you're exploring, really commit. 
I love the idea of, you know, focusing on the now. That's such a big concept with the way that I coach. We're always chasing the next best thing. (laughs) And I see this, I mean, this is kind of getting to our second topic about confidence in your career choices, but this is a really interesting thing that I see over and over people freaking out that they're making the wrong choice. And even when they get a job and accept a job, and we're talking good jobs here, mm-hmm. they they still, they don't feel good. And it's because there's this need to always be driving yourself to the next best thing. I mean, you start in your job and you're constantly thinking about your promotion and then whether you're going to make partner. And it's hard to just commit and enjoy where you're currently at. So that's something that's really been coming up for me lately um, that I feel very strongly about. That that comment actually really resonates with me because I can remember being a first-year lawyer. And I remember sitting in my office and one of my now partners was sitting there with me and we were just talking about the practice. And I remember saying to him, I feel a little lost right now because for the last, you know, 24 years of my life, it feels I've been trying to get good grades and, you know, do all the right things in yeah. order to get the job that I'm now currently in. And now I'm in the job and now I, I don't know what to do. Like I, I need something yeah. new to reach for. And yeah. <laughs> I remember him saying, well, you know, how about you just focus on enjoying what you're doing right now? And I'm yeah. like, no, I need a goal. I need a goal. Yeah. <laughs> and and I think that is something that happens. And I think law school does that to you because you're with a group of other type A individuals and you're all used to doing very well yeah. in your studies. And suddenly they throw all of you in a room together and you, you know, you don't know how you're measuring up and there's so much competition. And especially in the job market right now, there's so much competition and you just constantly are, are panicked. And you don't get the chance to really stop and enjoy it. And now when I look back, I realized I loved law school. It was so much fun, but I didn't even realize it at the time because I was yeah. too stressed. Yes. And what a shame, right? We, mm-hmm. we get one life. <laughs> we do. We do. Well, and that's why I went back and did a master's. And when I went back and did my master's, like I had a blast. It was yeah. so fun because I did it for me. I wasn't doing oh, it for my that. job or anything else and really got to enjoy it. But I, I wish I would have taken time to smell the roses in law school. Yeah. But how rare is that? I mean, I think what a typical story, you know, Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. so common for us to be going, going, going. And then, like you said, you get into practice and it's the same damn thing. It is. Going, going, going. (laughs) And like, and and look, I want to be clear because coaching is so much about goals. So I definitely am a believer in goals. And right. It's this, this idea of being able to set goals to keep you going, making progress, learning, growing, living life, being your best self, and being able to detach from the outcome in terms of whether you achieve that ultimate goal, like that's not the measure of success for you or your happiness, right? That the, Absolutely. Fact, the fact that you're growing and making progress in your life and showing up as your best self and you're on purpose, like aligned with who you are, showing up every day, that, that is success. This is a radical concept for our field, I feel. I agree with you. And I think that I've noticed myself, I'm a big goal setter too. I, I, I'm speaking your language, but I've changed the way that I set goals in the last number of years. And oh, I, I find me. that I'm, well, I find I'm setting them more 
on the basis of my own personal health mm. and less on the numbers. Because I think when we're younger, we we try to gravitate towards something that is quantitative, yeah. that we can touch, right? We've opened 10 new files. We've met five new people. Like there's something about that, right? And so I, I think I focused on that a lot. In the last couple of years, it's been more about that sort of inner thought process of, well, what files give me that warm, happy feeling and which files don't? And maybe I could move to a place where 95% of my files give me a warm, happy feeling and only yeah. 5% of them make me feel like I want to go jump off a bridge, right? <laughs> like that kind of idea. And I think sort of choosing myself and choosing my own happiness and choosing to do things that give back to the community and that make me feel like I'm a part of something bigger, right? Than just that cog in a wheel. And so a little bit of a different goal setting. And, and I, it's a lot harder. It's a lot less tangible and harder to tell if you're meeting the goal, but I think a lot more interesting. A lot more interesting, a lot more speaking to really what I consider life purpose. Are you mm -hmm. on purpose? Are you doing what brings you joy? Does it feel good living your life, right? Absolutely. Like, that's beautiful. I mean, and that, and again, it's rare. It's really, I really do find that it's rare. So I love that you shared that. I think again, growing, learning here. I think that is a huge learning point for your listeners. Um, so well, I think it ties into that second topic that you were talking about, because I think this concept of self-confidence really ties into goal setting mm. and the idea of, of sort of well, what if I've what if I've made a goal that I can't achieve, right? <laughs> what if I don't meet the goal I set? <laughs> what yeah. does that mean? And and how do I know if I'm doing a good job? And I really am curious to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. So the first thing that's coming to mind, I really like because um, I'm hearing fear when you're saying that, right? Like, yeah, you're maybe afraid. it's my own fear. Maybe it's my own fear. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Am no, I trying but... to get a free coaching session out of Emily in the course of this <laughs> podcast? <laughs> and I just can't help myself. I just have to do it. Um, it may just happen. So what I'm hearing is fear. And when I hear fear, one of my favorite lines of questioning uh, here, I'm going to give you guys some um, self-coaching tips here. Because that's one of the things I do. I love to teach. And so I don't just do the coaching and help folks. I really want you to be able to do it on your own as well. Um, so when I hear fear like this, my questions are, what's, what's so? What's really happening? What are the facts? Okay. So we're talking about the fear of not achieving your goal, maybe not being able to get some job. Well, first of all, let's talk about your grades. If we're talking big law, for example. I sometimes hear students have this fear and they're at the top of the class mm. and it's just kind of unfounded. And it's again, like you were talking about earlier, high achievers, we're all coming together. You know, if you have a room full of people who used to all get 4.0s in undergrad, that's not <laughs> possible in law school anymore. And so even if you have a 397, you still might be questioning yourself because it's not a 4.0. So doing kind of a fact checking upfront. Okay. Like bringing you back to reality here. And then, so what? So this question is challenging this catastrophic thinking that so many of us go straight to, you know, by default. Um, and when we're talking about this job, for example, so what if you didn't get that job? There are other jobs, right? Yes. 
it will Absolutely. not be the end of the world. And, um, and even asking yourself again, so what? So, so if the first answer is, um, I won't get the job. If your fear is, you know, you're not a strong enough candidate. So what? I won't get the job. Then I'm going to ask again, so what? So what if you don't get the job? Okay, well, I guess I can apply for another job. (laughs) What if I don't get that job, Emily? (laughs) Again, there are other jobs, right? And at the end of the day, if you're healthy and you're well and you have people that love you in your life, for most of us, that's all that really matters, right? So I think that's the other idea here, like you're talking about with your goal setting and how you've really changed and made it more about you and who you are and what brings you joy it's that too, helping pull law students and early career lawyers out of this frenzy and think about what really matters in life. Does it really matter if you don't get this certain job, if you get fired even? Mm-hmm. That is scary as hell. And for most of us would feel like failure, like, you know, maybe make you sick to your stomach, you're embarrassed. And again, thinking like, so what? Are you going to be fine? Yeah. You are. You're going to be okay. People get fired all the time. I got absolutely. Right. <laughs> no, it, it. I think it happens more and more often, and especially with the economy being the way it is. That yeah. I think there's. I think everyone's jobs are a bit more tenuous than they used to be, and I think that the the flip side of that, what I hear a lot from students, at least in Canada, is this fear of if I pick a job. So I've now picked yeah. big law, or I've picked this firm. But I'm feeling in my heart like this isn't the right thing for me. But I can't leave because I should just be so grateful that I have this job, right? And what are people going to think of me? Yeah, so that that brings up um, what I would consider uh, one several things. But one thing that's going on is possibly a limiting belief. And a limiting Mm. belief is essentially um, when we're operating based off of these ideas of what we think we should be doing Mm. instead of what we really want to be doing. We're not making Mm. a conscious choice. And look, it might come from our upbringing, from our parents, from the people we're around, from the media, things we see. Oh, this is what success looks like, lawyer, doctor, whatever. Um, And and so, yeah, we're all operating based off of these limiting beliefs so often. And so, yeah, you do see people um, going into... Uh, certain jobs in the legal field for that reason without really consciously choosing them. Mm-hmm. And, and here's the thing, that's okay. And I want, I want to say that again, that's okay <laughs> if you did that, okay? Because I don't want to be shaming anybody here. Um, Absolutely. I certainly, I certainly did that. Oh my gosh, me going to law school, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. like, well, this is what successful people do. And that yes. seems like, you know, I'll make a lot of money. And that's what you're supposed to do in life is try to make as much money as possible. I don't know. Um, so it's okay if that was you. The idea now, though, is, and I think this is what you were getting at, what happens? What are people's options when they have that assessment, the kind of, oh, shit, what am I doing? I don't think I really want to be doing this. Exactly. Um, So there are always options, okay? There are always options. And you are always at choice in your life. Mm -hmm. 
And it's really, it's a lot easier said than done. That's why there is an industry of coaching around these ideas, right? Because it's really hard to break away, especially if they're deeply embedded, again, with like family values and ideas, it's hard to break away from those beliefs that you should be doing something specific. Well, and maybe this isn't really directly on topic, but just as you're talking, there's something that's coming to mind that I would really like to have your thoughts on. And and that's about the sort of choosing a job portion of law school. And I don't know how it works in the US. I know how it works in Canada in that typically towards the end of the second year of law school out of the three years is when you enter the big interview period for your articling jobs. And so you're you're only a second year lawyer. You don't really know what's going on. And you're making this massive decision about what feels like the rest of your life. And I I taught at the college for a number of years. And so I, I get to have conversations with students. And a lot of the questions that were being asked was, how do I know? Like, how do I know it's the right fit? How do I choose? And it's just an overwhelming decision. Do you have any advice for students that are kind of at that stage of their law school career? I do. So uh, a couple of distinct thoughts. One, I always say it feels like the ultimate decision, the most important decision ever. And like, that's going to be your job forever. And look at the legal industry. Most people move around. Right. I, I absolutely I get the idea. And it's it's lovely that you're gonna go somewhere and stay there forever. It's just not consistent with the market. <laughs> so mm-hmm. so I think that's number one, just for people to understand that. I think early career, especially law students, I don't think that they realize that. I really don't. I think they don't know much. Most of them don't know much about the market. And so when I share that with them, that does make them feel a little bit more at ease. Oh, okay. So it is okay if I go there for a couple of years and then want to leave. Yeah, people do that. Mm -hmm. And you have to try it out. You have no idea if you're going to like it. You have to try it out um, to know. So that's number one. Um, and and moving around while if you if you're trying to go you know drastically different of course that can be very challenging but nothing is impossible with the right support it just may be a little bit more energy and effort but nothing is impossible in terms of moving around so number 1 that decision in law school or about your postgrad job that is not going to be your ultimate career decision right mm-hmm. like take mm-hmm. some of the pressure off Number two, I just want to introduce this idea that I really love about holographic thinking. So a lot of times, lawyers and law students, my former self included, sometimes my current self, um, we are over processors, mm-hmm. right? So we're super logic, um, logical, and that's how we make decisions. So just mm-hmm. to give you an example for me, when I decided to go to law school, I was a psychology major. I actually did research in positive psychology on the concept of hope, which is basically goal setting. and Oh my goodness. That's awesome. It all makes sense. Um, So, so that I was really on purpose there, but I just did this basic math. I'm like, okay, I could go for like eight more years of school, get my PhD in psychology, come out making 60 grand, or I could go to three more years of school, (laughs) law school Mm -hmm. and come out making 100 grand. Like that literally was how I made my decision kind of ridiculous Mm. saying that out loud um, and looking back, but pure logic. So holographic thinking 
is doing your best to align your head, which is the logic piece, your heart and your gut. So Mm. your heart, that's your feelings and your gut's your intuition. So when you're trying to make these big decisions, I I coach people around this. I ask them, what's your gut telling you? Mm -hmm. And they always have an answer. Absolutely. But no one asks them that question. No one else in their life gives them that space, including themselves. Absolutely. They, They don't give themselves that space to really trust their intuition. So that's something I like to do with, with folks, um, is really try to help them get in touch with how they're feeling. Um, what's their gut telling them? And of course, sprinkle in some logic because that is important. Um, it has to make sense. And, you know, if, if they need finances need to check out and all of that, like I I get that. I want to validate that for sure. Um, but I think a lot of times people are operating subconsciously, again, based on these beliefs that, well, this is what I should do. Or if I got good grades, um, I should go big law and I should make as much money as possible, maybe even to support my family when maybe your family would love for you to be a public interest lawyer, you know, so... I think that's a really good point. And I think one of the things I've noticed is that students have a tendency to just talk to each other about these things. Yeah. yeah. And and part of what the problem with that is, is none of them know. And so you you get this little breeding ground of panic because everyone's feeling the same panic and they're yeah. all trying to look to each other's guts and how, well, if that person thinks that, I should think that. And so, you know, do you have any thoughts about about who students should be reaching out to? at this sort of stage of their career? What's what's sort of appropriate for them to bounce some of this ideas off of? I think that's a really good question. Um, and I actually think it's healthy for them to check in with several sources. Mm. So I think the friends is important because your social support system is hugely important when you're going through difficult times. And of course, when you're... Um, especially for the younger law students, you know, where they really still need that social support. Um, I think that that's fine. Venting sometimes is healthy yes, to clear, yes. clear your energy. Uh, so that's fine. I think the key though, is just so long as you're sturdy and stable and know who you are so mm-hmm. that you can come home and think for yourself. If you're getting, you know, some advice or hearing things that don't really align with who you are. Um, so that's one thing. I think that's fine. Of course, talk to your career services office. Mm-hmm. So they're going to have a good beat on the local market, what's going on, talk to you about your different options, help you there um, and and have advice based on you know years of experience and working with so many different students. So I think that's important as well. Depending on what field you're going into, professors might be helpful. Mm. Um, it, it also depends on whether we're talking about active practitioners like yourself. Um, right. A lot of adjuncts tend to be actively practicing. And so they really have a good beat on, you know, what's going on in the market at the time, or really niche fields. Um, a lot of professors can be really helpful there as well. But at the end of the day, um, this is where I really love coaching. And I kind of describe it as that missing piece to student support in law school. 
So I think that you get a lot of advice, which is pretty much what we just talked about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But coach, as a coach, I don't give advice, which is really different. Um, my sole purpose is to ask empowering questions. And as I like to say, facilitate an internal conversation for my clients. Mm. So I'm getting them to like, they can go have that conversation with their friends. They can get the advice from everyone else. And then they come and we're talking and I'm asking them, okay, and now what do you think? Mm -hmm. What's right for you? What are your motivators? What's going to make you feel good at the end of the day? about what you're doing. I think that's so awesome. And I mean, I am a, I am a firm believer in business coaching. I have always had a coach at some point yeah. in my career. I have one right now. And I think that having that objective person in your life that it, it doesn't, it's not like you get a kickback if they go to a certain place. So exactly. you have no motive to tell them one thing or another. And you're sometimes the only person that's actually asking them, what do you want? Because yeah. nobody else asks that question. And yeah. law is hard. And being a lawyer is hard. It's tough. It's a stressful profession. And so if you can't find a place that feels like your home and that is with people who invigorate you and who who you want to be part of a team with, that just makes it so much harder. And so you have to ask those tough questions. Absolutely. And I think at the end of the day, what we're talking about is Mm self-awareness. And that's why um, I've developed this framework, um, uh, the four dimensions of yourself, crucial for career confidence, success, and leadership. And the first one is self-awareness. I mean, self-awareness is the bedrock, the foundation of coaching, really what we're doing. um, But that's what we're talking about here. A lot of people lack self-awareness. They don't know who they are because no one asked them those questions. And Mm -hmm. like I said earlier, I feel like we don't even ask ourselves. When we're high achievers, we're go, 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 right? Yes, I agree. Like how often are we just sitting there like, shoot, what do I want? Wait a minute, hold the phone. Okay, money aside, like I like to ask it that way too. Money aside, um, you know, all the fancy things you can buy in your life aside, like, what do you really want? What will make you happy? And I think people um, early in their career, taking the time to check in with themselves, to do those assessments, it can really be huge for them early on. And also the understanding that they're going to need to reassess right? Mm -hmm. So even if they do that, or they end up in the wrong job, kind of like I was saying earlier, so what? No shame in that, right? We're all going to make mistakes, or we can't predict the outcomes of our life. So even if you do everything right, and you think the career is right for you, and you end up in it, and it's not working out, that's okay. But then check in with yourself again, right? And reassess. It's a journey, right? Well, and I think you get something out of every job that you do and everything that happens in your life. And so Absolutely. I always try to to try to steer myself away from the idea of whether I'm doing something right or doing something wrong, because yes. that's an interesting sort of self-awareness or self-reflection terminology, because that's just that I've decided that that's right or wrong. Or is it that somebody else, you know, a parent or a friend has decided yeah. that for me? And and I, I really really feel for younger lawyers that there's this pressure 
to do certain things with your law degree. And if you don't do those things, oh, well, you know, you're taking the wrong path or, oh, your grades must not have been good enough or, you know, all of those things. And, and no, maybe it's just this is if this is the right fit for you. This is what brings you joy. This is a service that you can provide to the community. So do you have any suggestions on, on how to incorporate this concept of self-reflection or self-awareness into your sort of career goals? Yeah. So what I was hearing um, just now was judgment. Mm-hmm. coming up. I think that's a really important word um, that we also don't really talk a lot about. And when we hear it, we tend to think about judging others. But what mm-hmm. I was hearing was you judging yourself. Yes. When, when you're like, Ugh, this is the wrong path, mm-hmm. or I didn't get good enough grades. Um, so I think that's important for early career lawyers and law students to be thinking about how much are you judging yourself? right? And when something mm-hmm. doesn't go well, I love what you're thinking. What is the opportunity? That's the question I want you to ask yourself, right? So let's let's say, for example, um, you're in a job. It does not go well for a variety of reasons. <laughs> you know, it feels terrible. Um, a lot of us have been in a job like that. It's okay. Absolutely. Um, but it goes terribly. And so, of course, you feel awful. You're embarrassed. Maybe you cried at work. I've done that. Oh, yes. Um, and, um, and you're worried about your reputation. You know, so many different thoughts are brewing in your head. What is the opportunity? So just some examples here. One, okay, maybe this is an opportunity for you to really sit back and reflect on what you really want to do mm-hmm. because you got into the wrong thing. Two, what did you learn about yourself? Maybe you learned that you don't want to work um, in an environment where there's 50 attorneys in the office and no one really gets to know one another and you want to be in a smaller firm environment that's more collegial. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you learned something about practice area. So there's always these learning opportunities. Um, you just have to do that assessment and, and ask yourself, what is the opportunity even when things are not going going so well. Absolutely. I I really love that. And I feel like sometimes it's hard to see the opportunity at the time. And, and the longer you're away from it, the more that you, you really reflect and think, man, that was really good. I really got something out of that experience. But I think that's why this idea of self-reflection and self-awareness needs to be a continual practice. You can't just like do it once and then never do it again. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a misconception, um, especially with coaching, for example. So when people come to coaching, we're always talking about, uh, well, even when I do my discovery calls with prospective clients, my first question is, why did you book this call? Right. What what brought you to this call? Um, So we're we're already focusing on some sort of goal, right? People Mm -hmm. always have some outer goal usually. Um, Maybe they're going through a career change and they want to explore there or they want to become, I do a lot of confidence coaching. So becoming confident, which is more inner, um, but still it's very specific, Mm -hmm. right? And the idea is, okay, at the end of a few months together, I'm going to, you know, go from point A to point B. And yes, a hundred percent, that's what we're working towards. But like I mentioned earlier, I think it's so important to remember the coaching work is great and we're going to get you there. And what I'm teaching you is a set of tools where you can then continue the work after we're done together. So you end up self-coaching 
for mm-hmm. hopefully the rest of your life. Um, but yeah, it's this continual process, like you're saying. We're never, like imposter syndrome um, is yes. one of my favorite topics. It doesn't just go away. No, you it doesn't. Right, right. Mm-hmm. You can't fix it. Um, so the goal is to have tools where when it comes up the next time or later in your life, you can step back, you can pause, and you know what to do with it. Um, but that takes continual work because things show up differently in your life depending on your circumstances. And and the last thing I'll say on this is I saw this really great visual um, a couple of days ago, and it, it starts with the circle um, of comfort. And then mm-hmm. as you go slightly outside of it, the next circle around it is fear. Mm-hmm. So when we're doing something new, it's scary as hell, right? When we're going out Absolutely. of our comfort zone. And then the next circle is learning and growth. Mm. And, and the last one is basically like self-mastery where you're good, you made it. But but then it starts all over again. That's Absolutely. the point. So you get back to your comfort zone, but then the next time you want to do something and push yourself and do something new, you're going to go into that fear again. Mm-hmm. So the work is always needed so long as you're growing and learning, which for most of us, especially lawyers, that's going to be crucial for us to live a fulfilling and purposeful life. Absolutely. I I love that. I was picturing that in my head as you were describing it. Yeah. That's such a great visual. This is this was great. And I, I should give you five stars for doing that wonderful segue into topic three. You just brought <laughs> us right there. I love that. And I, I want to take a couple of minutes um, before we close off because I'd, I'd like to hear a little bit about some of the exciting things that you're going to be starting or actually are in the process of doing uh, right now. So if you could talk about some of the different um, things you have going on. Of course, I would love to. So I I still offer one-to-one coaching, which of course is the best way to really dive deep into whatever it is that's going on for you. And I focus um, in career, life, leadership, all of these good things that really are so important for lawyers, especially early on in your career, to be evaluating who you are and what you want out of life. Uh, but then I'm also running my first cohort of a group program that I'm so excited about. It's called Career Confidence for Emerging Women Lawyers and just launched my first cohort. And then the plan is to um, launch another couple of cohorts this year. So if anyone is interested, I would love to talk to them about a future cohort, but it's a six week program now. I'm hoping to expand it. Uh, and make it a little bit lengthier, but bringing some early career women lawyers together to really break through imposter syndrome. Uh, So, so many of us have imposter syndrome when we're just starting out in our legal careers. We're doing really important work and we have no idea what we're doing. Well, and I, I had said to you before we started recording, you know, would you accept an old lawyer into this program? Yeah. Because I feel like yeah. as a more seasoned lawyer, I always struggle with imposter syndrome as well. I don't think it ever really goes away. And so I think it's so amazing that you've created this course and that you're creating a sense of community. Yeah. I like this concept of community as well. Yes. Um, the women who are enrolling are saying, I want the group. Mm-hmm. I want the group. I want the, one of them said it the other day. I loved it. She was like, 
I want to hear other women talking about the stuff they're dealing with. I want to know I'm not the only one. Absolutely. Right? The idea of normalizing what you're going through, I think is incredibly powerful. Absolutely. Well, I'm I'm excited about this and, and I am going to include all the information in the show notes. So information about your website and your LinkedIn profile and, you know, follow, follow Emily on Instagram too. She has the greatest posts on Instagram. They're happy, they're positive, and there's always these great little nuggets that you can take from it. So I will make sure I post all of that as well. And, and I just really enjoyed having you on today, Emily. Thank you so much. Thank you, Amanda. I love talking to you. It's always a pleasure. We could have fun for hours. <laughs> we could, and I and I got a little personal coaching in there, so that was yeah. good. You know, so if you guys want to hire Emily, you could also ask her to be a guest on your podcast, and then see if maybe she'll give you a little coaching as part of that too. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Slipped it in. Well, that is all we have time for today. And I hope we gave you all some food for thought or at least made you smile. And please see the show notes for any of the resource material that we discussed today in the episode and to find out more about our amazing guest. Thank you so much for listening. And if you are interested in reading or learning more, I invite you to subscribe to my weekly blog, The Tax Chick Blog. And if you have an idea for a future episode or a burning question you would like to see discussed, please send me an email at thetaxchickpodcast at gmail.com. Please note that the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast episode belong solely to the speakers and are not necessarily the views of the speaker's employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. In addition, the information provided and discussed in this podcast is not legal advice. We encourage you to consult with your legal advisor for specific advice.